0: Today, you have a special treat. You are going to hear from my spiritual dad. His name is Daniel Brown. And uh, when I was a really, really new Christian, really broken, I walked into a church in, in Santa Cruz area, California, Aptos. Church called the Coastlands. And as soon as I walked in, I knew I was home, but not for long, because the very first Sunday that I was there, Daniel announced that they were going to be planting a church in San Jose. Daniel and his wife Pamela planted the coastlands in 1980, 84. what? 84, okay. They planted this church in 1984, and they pastored there for 22 years, and now the Lord has released them from that, and... and years ago, and Daniel has been traveling around the world teaching, and he puts on, I think, a million frequent flyer miles a year or something like that. It's an estimate. He puts on a lot of miles. He speaks in all different different countries, so there are different languages, so he typically has to use an interpreter. So today is a treat for him because he can just plow ahead and talk to you. His word is very profound. Um, He has a really specific and, uh, I think, a really significant word for us today. He's going to be talking to us about prophecy. And he claims that he's finishing up the Sermon on the Mount. So you're just going to have to come back next week and figure out what the heck we're doing. So I don't really know. And there's there's Amy again. Oh, I see Amy. So um, I just want to say that... um, We are really blessed and honored to have Daniel as our spiritual dad, as our spiritual covering. I feel very safe and protected and cared for by Daniel because he really genuinely loves us. He loves this church. He loves you. He loves me. And um, he's not afraid to bring correction to me if I need it, which is pretty frequently, even though he's very, very gracious, and uh, there are not enough words from me to express how much I love this man, and how much I honor him, and how much I respect and look up to him, and I think you're going to be really blessed today, so could you stand and warmly welcome my spiritual dad, Daniel Brown.
1: Hallelujah, thank you, thank you. Yeah, you may be seated again. Thank you. Well, the story as I got it was that you guys have been on the this, this Sermon on the Mount. And it's like Mount Everest or something. You've just been climbing and climbing and climbing for decades. And last week, your pastor promised that we were going to finish the Sermon on the Mount this week. She neglected to tell me that after she invited me to come and be here for Sunday morning, because I've been here all weekend actually talking about this really interesting, quite large subject that we would just refer to as spiritual, spirituals. That's like everything in the Bible. Could you come talk on that? Anyway, I did that Friday night, Saturday morning. And I thought I was just sticking around because, well, you know, she's nice and I'm, I'm happy to be here. So, hey, stay around and talk on Sunday. And she gave me some verses in the Sermon on the Mount and said, Would you talk on these? And because of, you're going to see in a moment, the verses themselves relate so closely to the subject that I'd spent the whole weekend on, I sort of figured like they were the afterglow of the weekend and she wanted me to connect to the weekend, not knowing I was supposed to connect to the Sermon on the Mount. And it wasn't until yesterday at a very late lunch that I discovered that I'm the kind of slotted in, make sure you stick with the Sermon on the Mount speaker. So first service, she gets up and says, well, I've actually told a little fib to all of you. It wasn't intentional, but it was a fib. I said, we're going to be finished today. And she says, we're actually not. because Now, she didn't say, because we've got a long-winded guy uh, here who couldn't possibly finish. She just said, we're not going to finish. Okay, so then I had to get up and make my confession, and my confession was that even though she had told me just these few little verses, well, as I read my Bible, they connect all the way to the end of the Sermon on the Mount, so I was going to have to confess that I'm cheating by stealing more Bible verses than she actually gave to me. But however it's going to work out, ladies and gentlemen, I am the answer to your prayer. Oh, God in heaven, get us out of this series and on to something else. And so I'm the answer to that prayer this morning. Hallelujah. Okay. So if you have your Bible with you, I'd love to have you open to the Sermon on the Mount, which is probably where your Bible will auto-open if you just leave it alone. And uh, we're going to come beginning in verse 21 of Matthew 7, Matthew chapter 7, verse 21. And I'm going to read all the way to the very end of the Sermon on the Mount because of how connected, uh, the, well, never mind, we're just going to do it. So we pick it up, verse 21 of Matthew 7. This is Jesus speaking. He says, you know, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord will enter into the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Now many are going to say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and in your name cast out demons and in your name perform many miracles? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. Therefore, Everyone who hears these words of mine and acts upon them may be compared to a wise man who has built his house upon the rock. And when the rain descended and the floods came and the winds blew and burst against the house, yet it, it didn't fall because it had been founded on the rock. But everyone who hears these words of mine and doesn't act upon them will be like a foolish man who built his house upon the sand. And the rain descended, the floods came, the winds blew and burst against that house, and it fell, and great was the fall. Therefore, or excuse me, uh, the, the result was that when Genesis, Jesus finished teaching these words, the multitudes were, were amazed at his teaching, for he was teaching them as one having authority and not like the scribes. Depart from me, I never knew you. These are pretty sobering, pretty strong words. And I'd like to, if I could, set the uh, sort of the spiritual landscape, a context for what was happening at the moment when Jesus is uh, declaring the Sermon on the Mount, when he's doing these teachings. Because really the Sermon on the Mount is, is we would say, it's really the beginning of the teaching ministry that Jesus has that is going to stretch a little over three years until ultimately he's crucified and and raises from the dead. So this is his introductory statement to a world that doesn't really have any context for what Jesus is going to say. And at the time that Jesus came into the world, the Bible refers to it as the fullness of time, a time that God had been waiting for from the very first sin of Adam and Eve in the garden, a moment when he was going to secure and redeem and rescue and forgive the world for all of its wrong through sending his son to die that that his blood could wash away our sins. In the fullness of time, The moment that God has been anticipating that every single prophet in the Old Testament was referencing and speaking about. And though they didn't know exactly what was going to happen, they didn't know precisely the moment that it would happen. Every uh, kingdom player, every spokesperson, every teacher in the word of God had an understanding the day is going to come when. God will turn everything upside down and bring true justice, freeing the oppressed from the oppressor and turning the tables on all the wicked forces and powers that press into us and do such harm. The moment had come. Now, Jesus is not accidental. In what he says and why he ends this glorious message, the Sermon on the Mount, filled with so many intriguing and sometimes a little bit hard to understand statements. It's not an accident that he concludes his main first message to a world with a warning about all of the spiritual others that will come with messages, that will come with rules, that will come with religions, that will come with suggestions, and try to flood into this sort of vacuum that gets created. It's not an accident that he warns us, beware. There will be many people who try to suggest that they have the answer, that they are the truth, and I beseech you, pay attention to no other. Now, again, when I, when I set the landscape for just a moment, if you remember way back when, when, uh, when baby Moses was born, at that time the ruler of the natural world, Pharaoh, uh, impelled and pressed by the hater of the works of God, the devil, that Pharaoh had issued an edict that all male uh, babies born to the Jews should be killed. And we know that he did this because somehow the devil sort of understand that God was going to send a deliverer who would set God's people free. And though the enemy didn't know precisely what would happen, uh, he, he, he inspired a natural leader to try to eliminate that deliverer before he was even born. That's why the miracle of Moses being saved, because his parents wouldn't, uh, you know, wouldn't destroy him, is such a big deal. The enemy hates any redemptive, recovering work of God. And he sets himself to oppose it in very grotesque, very blunt, very, very primitive ways. I'll just wipe out all the kids. And then we find the New Testament corollary to that. When Jesus is born, remember the story of the Magi, and Herod said, so when exactly did that star appear? And they explained to him, well, we've been following it for about two years. And Herod's like, oh, very interesting. And as soon as those Magi have, uh, have left, what does he do? He sends his soldiers to kill every youngster two years and younger in the city where he thought, I can destroy the king of the Jews. I can preserve my rulership by eliminating him. The enemy isn't always so violent in his opposition to the things of God. And so when Jesus comes into the world, remember, he is called the word of God. He is the, uh, that word logos, word, Uh, We could translate, he's the conversation. He's the sum total of everything that God wants to say. He is the entire package, every single word that God wants to speak to humankind. That is the word of God. So he makes a big deal here of saying, now be careful, because into this, this season, as, as God has sent me with my words to turn everything up, upside down, there will be a flood, an avalanche of other spiritual forces and messages and powers that are going to try to overwhelm my message. Be very careful that you pay attention to no imposter. My words have a power that none others have. My words are the one and only sure footing for your life, and to the extent that you are completely on my word, then no matter what comes against you, no matter what physical storms may beset you, no matter what circumstantial uh, uh, downpours or avalanches may come upon you, no matter what winds of doctrine may blow against you, if you're set On my word, you're not going to fall. You will ultimately make it through. So in this passage, we see what's called a juxtaposition. It's not that important, but it just means that you have two parts that are kind of set in contrast to one another. And in the first part, there are these people who say, Hey, Lord, Lord, in your name, we spoke all kinds of things. We prophesied. In your name. And what is a prophecy? A prophecy is supposed to be words that I receive from God, I simply pass along to you. And there were people saying, But in your name, we spoke all sorts of words. And we did all kinds of things. But Jesus said, Uh uh. Depart from me, I I didn't ever really have a relationship with you because the whole time you were doing what you were doing, you were just practicing lawlessness. What does he mean by lawlessness? Well, Jesus, okay, the first part is people saying, we're trying to validate our spiritual standing. We're trying to prove that we really are with you because of our words. And Jesus said it doesn't work that way. What gives you eternal standing with me are not the words that you speak, are not the deeds that you do, even if you do them in my name. What gives you eternal standing is that you base your life on my words. What is lawlessness? Well, to define it very simply, I would say lawlessness is when you or I or anyone, tries to establish our own rules for behavior or tries to establish our own religion. When we take it upon ourselves to say, well, this is what I believe, this is what I say is true, we are... Functioning in lawlessness because God's way has already been established. I remember some time ago I was in, in Texas, so maybe you would think of course it was Texas that this happened, but it was on a freeway, one of these elevated freeways that, you know, um, do you know what I mean by elevated freeway? That's the dirt that it's above the... Okay, well, sometimes I don't really know how to explain the simplest of things, but the... the there was, there was dirt down either side of this freeway and was sort of a traffic jam. And some cowboy in his pickup truck decided, I ain't waiting in line. So literally just took his truck and drove off the freeway, down the berm, through the fence, and off. And I, he was b- right behind me. I mean, I was looking at this in the mirror, and then I couldn't believe my eyes I was tempted for just a moment to follow him, but... (laughs) Okay, that's a pretty good picture of lawlessness. Hey, nobody tells me where I can or can't go. Roughly translated, I don't pay attention to ways that have already been established because I'm a spiritual cowboy and I am making a new way. Jesus said, be careful of anyone whose words aren't based on my words. Another way I could describe lawlessness to you, you'll probably remember the story of Cain and Abel. And Abel was a man who offered God a sacrifice from the flock, and Cain offered a sacrifice from the field. And the Bible says that God had no regard for the offering that Cain brought him. And many youngsters will say at the dinner table, well, even God doesn't like vegetables, so why should I eat them? But that really isn't the point of the story. And so you could kind of say, well, how random is that? I mean, God says, I don't want fruit, I want, I want meat. Until we realize that we're told in the book of Hebrews, chapter 11, that God had spoken to Cain and Abel. And God had told them which sacrifice he wanted. And Abel in faith, which is faith just simply means believing what God has said. Abel believed when God said, I want a sacrifice of a lamb because we know God was setting up the future, right? And the sacrifice of his own son and he had told these brothers, I want a sacrifice of a lamb. Abel listened to God, did what God said, but Cain didn't. Cain thought to himself, well, hey, sacrifice, you've seen wine, you are seen them all. What's the big difference? As long as I am making a sacrifice, because that's the spiritual activity, right? I'm free to make any kind of religious activity that I want. And as long as I point it toward God, it's okay. That is lawlessness. I disregard the ways of God in order to establish my own religion, my own mentality, my own rules. Now, I'm going to take you to another passage in the Gospel of John. So if you have your Bible, we're going to go to John chapter 12 because uh, this takes place a bit later in Jesus' ministry. Remember, the Sermon on the Mount is just his introduction. Those people didn't know anything about Jesus' death on the cross. They They didn't understand very much at all. But after a couple of years of Jesus ministering to these people, he's going to say something very similar to what he says here at the end of the Sermon on the Mount. So we're in John chapter 12, and I'm going to begin reading in verse 46. This is Jesus speaking. I have come as light into the world that everyone who believes in me may not remain in darkness. If anyone hears my sayings and does not keep them, literally doesn't pay attention to them or disregards them, uh, he says, if anyone doesn't keep, if anyone hears my sayings and does not keep them, I don't judge him because I didn't come into the world. To judge the world. He who rejects me and does not receive my sayings still has one who judges him. The word that I spoke is what will judge him on the last day. For I didn't speak on my own initiative, but the Father Himself, who sent me, has given me commandment of exactly what I'm supposed to say and what I am to speak and I know that his commandment is eternal life. Therefore, the things I speak, I speak just as the Father gave me to speak. Now, you may not realize that all through Jesus' ministry, he repeats this theme, that theme being that my teaching isn't my own. It's not based on my own thinking. It's not based on a private revelation that I have had. It's not based on what I think would be a good idea. My teaching comes directly from God. And I am telling you everything He wants you to know. The book of Hebrews puts it still another way. It's the writer kind of thinking back on the long history of of Israel and realizing now the accomplished work of Christ on the cross. And he says this, you know, God, who in many portions and in many ways in, in times past has spoken to us through the prophets and many, many, many other ways, in these last days has spoken to us through his only begotten Son. Friends, I'm telling you that the words of Jesus Christ are the only arbiter, the only judge for your eternity. And Jesus said, if you really pay attention, if you base your life on my words, I am the word of God. I came into the world to bring forgiveness. My whole purpose for coming was to announce to you that that righteousness comes on the basis of faith. Righteousness is simply on the basis of you believing. You hear the connection? My words, believing. And many of us inside of our own self, just our own flesh, will kind of want to say, well, that's, that's just a little bit too easy and we will in our own efforts sincere even even spiritually wanting to do better be better uh, yeah lord i'm 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 with you we are sometimes guilty of making our own rules the rules that go like like this that well you know just believing in what jesus has done isn't quite enough that you better up the ante a little bit more. You better get way gooder. <laughs> yeah, all right, now I'm talking your Utah language, huh? Okay, <laughs> all right. And it sounds uh, reasonable. It, it sounds spiritual. Oh, yeah, oh, yeah, yes, okay, okay, so I'm going to try, 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 try harder in a religion that is lawless making my own rules and just driving over the way that Jesus already made through his death, his resurrection. And I believe, Jesus, in your forgiveness. I take you at your word and I invite you to wash away my sins. That is the message that Jesus came To share. Not his own words. And again, several times in the Gospels, the audience listening to Jesus will make the comment that we just read there at the very end of the Sermon on the Mount. Wow! When he was done talking, people were like, Who is this guy? And when he speaks, he speaks with such authority. Not authority, but such expertise. Oh, my goodness. Everything he says penetrates my heart. This is a man who knows what he's talking about. He's not like those religious mumbo-jumbo people. Where did Jesus get his authority? He was even asked people had said to him, okay, how did you get so smart? You didn't even go to university. And he says, it's quite simple. My teaching doesn't originate from within me. Whatever the Father speaks, I repeat. Whatever he does, I simply uh, mimic what he does. And the authority that Jesus Christ has is that he is the direct, spokesperson of God Hmm. you know one of the things I love about him kids like him so when I was pastoring I had this theory if kids don't like you neither do I so whatever you need to do to kind of fix your religious crusty exterior so that you can relate to children uh, you probably should should do Now make no mistake, there is judgment in the world, but I, I find myself wanting to smile and weep at the same time sometimes because there are floating around in the, in the circle of the body of Christ, I think probably well-meaning men and women who are self-styled prophets or prophetesses. And I think to myself, I don't know if actually you've read the whole Old Testament, because when you come with words from the Lord, and you know, you can, you can hear it coming. It's like, thanks, you don't even need to speak. I get it. I'm a filthy dog. God hates my guts. Right. Did I, did I nail the prophecy you were about to give me? And they kind of come at you like, like, and they always want to talk about judgment Again, I'm sure they've read some pages in the Old Testament, but I'll tell you a secret. Even the scariest stories in the Old Testament, when you think, oh my goodness, God really judged those people. Just read a few more chapters and you'll discover that he brings everything back around and is using it all for their good. So these half-baked, self-styled prophets want to announce judgment of God. So you can get it out, God, in the church. Well, if they would read this passage, they would know. And one other one a little earlier. Do you know that God has actually given all judgment into Jesus' hands? Hmm. That means he's not judging anybody. He's given all judgment into Jesus' hands. And what does Jesus say? I'm not judging anybody either. Now you should know, there will still be judgment. And what will judge you on that day is not me. It doesn't even have to be the Father. Because we have spoken words, and those words will ultimately decide your eternity. That's why Jesus said, Listen really carefully and base your life on my words. Now, I thought it would be uh, interesting whether or not it is to you. I think it will be. So, I'm the guy with the microphone, and we're going to go to 1 Corinthians chapter 14. Because, as I mentioned, 1 Corinthians 14. As I mentioned, there is a little bit of confusion among some people about the nature of the words of God or judgment or prophecy and things of that nature. And I thought it would be helpful for you to hear uh, what the Bible has to say about this gift, this spiritual, called the gift of prophecy. Uh, How will we know If a well-meaning friend approaches us and says, I don't know, it was weird, I was praying for the other day, and and I feel like God kind of shared something with me that might be useful to you. How do we know whether those words really come from God? How do we know if that's a prophetic message? Or if we feel like maybe, that's interesting, I feel moved upon by the Lord and I think I'm supposed to share this word that's stirring in my soul, I think I'm supposed to share it with a person or with a group of people, how can I kind of double-check myself to be sure it really is from the Lord? So what would um, the question I'm trying to answer is, is, what is prophecy like? How can I distinguish a, a false prophet or prophecy from a true one? Now, we know, of course, that true prophecy has to line up with the Word of God. But the Word of God actually describes what prophecy is supposed to do. So we're here in 1 Corinthians 14, and I'm going to read verse 3. He says this, One who prophesies speaks to people for edification and exhortation and consolation. Okay, this is the purpose of prophecy. Contrary to some people's thoughts, the purpose is not to judge people or to tell them that they are being judged by God. The purpose is to kind of build people up. So you look at these three words. I mean, uh, firstly, to edify. And by the way, when I hear a prophecy, I just go through the tick list in my mind do I experience at least one of these three things in my life as a result of the words that you've spoken? if it's really from God, uh, firstly, it's going to edify me. And that means it's going it's to build me up. It's going to give me greater spiritual girth. I end up with more staying power. And even though the things of life do sometimes bash against me, because of this word, though I was growing very weak And though I wasn't quite sure how much longer I was going to, this word that God has given to me builds me up and makes me more of a kingdom player. A word of God doesn't tear me down. It doesn't trash me. It doesn't push me away and say, you're just lucky they're even going to go to heaven, you filthy little rat. That's not from the Lord. No, he builds you up because he adores you. And he's staked a lot of his reputation on his ability to deal with fixer uppers like you. I mean, I don't mean to be rude, but you're like the worst piece of property in the neighborhood. Hey, your shutters aren't even shutting. And so he's got this big van out in front, uh, the Lord and Son remodelers. Right? and the neighbors are watching. So I don't think he's going to get any more business if over a period of time, because God is working on you, you go from being a, a, a somewhat ill-repaired house into a bare lot with a pile of old lumber. That's kind of going backwards. And God loves you and has a future and a hope and a promise for you, and he can't wait to get you into all the good things he's got in store. A true prophecy, secondly, will exhort me. Uh, and in, in the English language, sometimes we can think of exhorting, ah, ah, how many times do I have to tell you? Ah, ah, ah. No, that's not that. This word for exhorting, if we translate it correctly, is a, is more Encourager. You can do what you can do, what you can, you can. You know, the lean to the left, the lean to the... You know that routine? You can, you can do this. Uh, in California, believe it or not, they have these things called personal fitness coaches which are just paid torturers. You actually pay these people money and you go visit them or have them come visit you to get you to do things that you don't want to do. Well, somehow, because somebody else is saying, you can do it, You're like, I don't think so, but okay. You trial it and you do it. And you're like, yeah. That's a prophetic word. Come on, you can make this. Don't give up. Don't stop. God says, I'm with you. I'm with you to deliver you. I'm with you to secure you. I'm with you to make a way when there doesn't seem to be a way. Come on. And you should feel, if it's truly a word from God, you feel like, wow, God is on my side. I don't mean that he ever like totally agrees with you, right? I'm not saying that. But instead of him being against me, whoa, he is for me. Religion is terrible. Religion Wants you to do for God. Mm -hmm. The Bible talks to us about what God wants to do for you. So let him. That's what a prophecy says. And then lastly, it consoles you. Uh, We have in our culture, right, a consolation prize, which means if you receive one, bravo, uh, if you receive a consolation prize, it means two things. The first is you did not win. Okay, that's pretty obvious. <laughs> but it also means the race is over. They don't give prizes out until the race is over. They don't take you at the starting block and say, you, you don't have a chance. Here, take the booby prize and leave. No, no. The race is finished. And how many of us, in our circumstances, in our mind, truly believe it's too late? We can suffer from a lot of regret or, or shame. If only I hadn't done that. If only that had not been done to me. But something from the past, something going on in my life, tells me there is no point in continuing because the race is over and you missed it, buddy. But a word from the Lord when there you are, you hear a little psst, psst from the sidelines. And you realize God says, no, come over here. I've got another trail. This, this race isn't over. Or you've come into a box canyon and you're right up against the flat of the backside of the box canyon. Is there such a thing? I don't know where these words come from. All right. <laughs> you're pressed up against the stone and that's where religion stampedes you. Just so you know how bad you are. And there I am, pressed up against the dead end. And God says, stay hey, over here, over here. And I discover that what I thought was a stone wall, there's actually a little crevice. And I can slide through that crevice out into the most beautiful valley. When religion tells you you're finished, the king of heaven says, Oh, sweetness, I'm just getting started. Now, if we just go over a couple of other verses, we learn another thing about prophecy. It's found in the same chapter, 1 Corinthians 14. And I'm going to read verses 24 and 25. If all prophesy and an unbeliever or an ungifted man enters, he is convicted by all and he's called to account by all. And the secrets of his heart are disclosed and he will fall on his face and worship God declaring that God is certainly among you. Okay, so picture this scenario, if you will. Uh, We've already learned just a few verses earlier that prophecy is supposed to build you up. It's supposed to encourage you to keep going. And it's supposed to let you know it's not too late. So then when you read these verses and you listen to the language, it can seem almost the opposite of what just got spoken. Because it says, there you are as a group of believers, right? Right? And an ungifted person, (laughs) non-Christian, comes in the room. And then you begin to prophesy. And the prophecies are basically, we're calling you to account, you pervert. We know the sickness of your heart, and you've been found out. Well. Number one, that wouldn't really fit with the tone of what we just learned about being edified and encouraged. You, know, you can feel the Lord saying, yeah, come a little closer. Now I got you, you nasty. No, it doesn't make sense. And when you study the original language a little bit, you realize it's really more like this, that when a person who doesn't know all these strangers and and several of them are prophesying and the details of their prophecy this person oh my goodness they they overlay my heart so perfectly it's like obviously custom made god is talking to me they know you don't know these things that are hidden in their heart it's not their nasty things it's just stuff you don't know And when you reference these things, they are convinced God is in this place and he sees me, oh, oh, hallelujah. That's how the verses end. He praises God. He doesn't walk away in shame. Reminds me one of the very first times in my life I ever prophesied. I was really new at it. We had this Bible study going down at UCLA, and it was an open study in the evening, so anybody could come. And one particular week, in addition to the 40 or 50 uh, others who were there, this couple walked in, and I know I'm dating myself, and if you nod knowingly, you will date yourself. So hold your, hold your head steady. Do not, do not nod. When I ask you, you know what I mean when I say that this guy looked exactly like Charlie Manson. Oh, I didn't even tell you to not make a a noise. Okay, so you are old if you know what I'm talking about. He had the hair, the scary kind of a look. And I was of two minds when he came into this Bible study. It's like, um, oh, uh, hallelujah, I think. Oh, yeah, good good, good that you're here. And the other part of my mind was, (laughs) (laughs) But I kept going. We did our Bible study. And at the end of it, again, one of like maybe the third time in my life I'd prophesied, I shared this picture of God's longing to wrap his arms around this man. But the detail that I didn't know, except I'm just sharing what I saw in my mind, was of a long-distance runner that God had been chasing for several years, just saying, stop, so I can wrap my arms around you. So I'm sharing all this, and then, you know, I was done with it, and it was the end of the study, and i like, okay, thank you, good night. And this man came streaking right toward me, right up in my face like this, and I really thought, today dies Daniel Brown a very young minister of the gospel, part-time, by the way. And you know what he said to me? He says, how can I be saved? This God of yours, he's here. Because no one knew. I used to be a long-distance runner in high school. And when you said that, and that God was chasing me to rap, as I knew it was God. Three years ago, that's not when I was in the university. You're thinking, how old is he? No, No. It was long ago I was at the university. But three years ago, I was privileged to go to the state of Washington to celebrate the 30-year anniversary of the church that this man and his wife established. I'm telling you, that's like, yeah, that's wonderful. Well, my point is that It's not scary, nasty secrets that get brought to the surface. It's just enough to convince you God knows you. I'll tell you one other sort of uh, funny little story, uh, and then we're nearly done. Notice I said... When I was a less experienced minister, let's just say, I was privileged to have oversight over a a high school age group at a very large church. I wasn't the person who taught the group, but I I was sort of the pastor of the pastor who did teach it. And so I went to visit this high school group one Wednesday night, and I really sensed God say to me, I want you to demonstrate the kingdom of God. I want you to show them something, because they're not used to seeing it. And I'm like, okay. And I knew what he wanted me to do was to lay my hands on each of these youngster and prophesy over them. And I was thinking of this verse when I foolishly said to a group of high school students, hey, I'm so excited. Uh, I'm going to pray for you in front of everybody one at a time. And do you know the Bible says that the secrets of your heart are going to be revealed? (laughs) Who wants to go first? (laughs) Okay, I mean, it's like, they, they were frozen. They didn't move. And one poor gal, I think she just twitched her neck. Or, and I said, honey, you'll do. And so she, 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 she came up and she sat down. And so I, I prayed for her, maybe a minute. And I just prayed what God gave me to pray. And when I was finished, I look at this poor thing, and she's just bawling. But they weren't bad tears. She couldn't believe that God knew her so well. And all the other youngsters in the room who had been watching this, (laughs) I didn't know the girl. They did. And then I said, would any of the rest of you like me to pray for you? Every hand in the room went up. I had to go back three weeks in a row to lay my hands and pray for uh, everyone who wanted. I'm talking about secrets, not nasty but particulars of your life that are unknown to anyone, and when God touches them, you know he sees me, and he knows me, and he values me. And I know there are many of you who are used to not being noticed. I'm just one of the pack. Nobody really cares specifically particularly for me. But you have a God in heaven who does. Paul concludes this chapter and I'm so will I in verse 36 He apparently is having to deal with some pseudo-religious people uh, who have the idea that their, their prophetic insight into the things of God have elevated them to a place that now they don't have to be accountable to anyone because I am a man of God, I am a woman of God. And so these people have apparently been barging into and overturning proper order, just kind of throwing their weight around and saying, well, this is God, because they're very spiritual. And so Paul is going to now correct these hyper-spiritual people when he asks them, okay, guys, was it, was it from you that the word of God first went forth, or, or has it come to you only? If anyone thinks he is a prophet or spiritual, let him recognize that the things which I write to you are the Lord's commandment. And if anyone doesn't recognize this, he is not recognized. In other words, if you can't pay attention to simple order and discipline and you think you're spiritually whatever, Paul says, I don't recognize you as being spiritual at all. Therefore, my brethren, desire earnestly to prophesy, and do not forbid to speak in tongues, but let all things be done properly and in an orderly manner. Yesterday, I believe that God spoke a word to me that I think is for many of you this morning. That was the end of my sermon, by the way. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. And, and you could hear this as a, a prophetic word. I prefer to think of it as a, what the Bible refers to as a discerning of spirits. It's another one of the spiritual gifts, a discerning or a detecting of the presence of particular evil um, forces that are doing damage to people, that are lying to people, that are influencing things in a not good way. And it was almost as though I was eavesdropping on the what the Bible calls the doctrines of demons, the, the messages that were coming from this evil presence and, and rattling around in your mind and in your heart. And we know this, that the enemy is the master ventriloquist. He will say things to you using your voice. And because they sound like you, you can believe that they are conclusions that you yourself have come to. So, because I believe in doing things decently and in order, uh, last evening I shared these with your pastor. I'm very happy to be submitted and very happy to be wrong. Uh, and so I said, well, this is what I think the Lord is, is, is saying, what he's alerted me to. Uh, Jody, does this make sense to you? Do you bear witness to this? Does this fit in with what you believe and what you see? Now, I'm her spiritual father, and I've been a minister for a long time. I come by the gray hair naturally. (laughs) But none of the fact that I may know a lot or that I'm experienced or so that I know a lot of Bible uh, excuses me from just merging in with proper authority, right? When you get onto a freeway, what do you do? You match your speed to the lane you're trying to merge in on. That's all submission is. It just turn it on its side. I fit in. So I ran these by her, and and she said, oh, yeah, Daniel, please, please share it. There's three statements. Yeah, okay, that's three. Three statements. If this sounds like anything you've been battling lately, I beseech you, believe that it is not the word of the Lord and refuse it. First is this. I, I, I can't do it. I, I can't do it. But there's a frustration there. Um, you know, I can't dunk a basketball, but I don't ever, I can't dunk the basketball. There's not a dream that I could I'm talking to you about something that makes you feel badly about yourself. You you look down on yourself. You're disgusted with yourself. You're disappointed in yourself. I can't even believe that you. I, I can't do this. And it makes you feel like you're going to be left behind or left. I, I. That is not the voice of the Holy Spirit. I don't know what I'm doing don't know what I'm doing. And it's only a matter of time before I get found out. Why did I end up in this situation? What do these people want from me? I don't know how to do this. I don't know what I'm doing. And instead of making you eager to learn more, it makes you want to flee. It makes you want to run away. You can feel impending failure. And the threat is that You don't know what you're doing. And God, our loving Father says, Hey, anybody that lacks wisdom, come here. I got lots of it. And I want to teach you things. I want to show you things. I want to work things in you. Because through me, you can do this but the enemy just wants you to quit and he makes you angry that you are in a situation that you just don't know how to do. And then lastly, I guess it's kind of related. It's a fear, though. A fear, I won't be able to fulfill the assignment. I'm going to come up short. I I can see the end. We're not there, but I know how this story ends. Something will happen. Something won't be what it needs to be inside of me. And at the end of the day, I will be named a failure. A failure in the eyes of God, a failure in the eyes of others, and a failure to myself. I won't be able to fulfill my assignment. And here's the word of the Lord to you. Faithful is he who calls you, and he will also do it. If you're stepping into something that the Lord of heaven has said, come on, come on and do this, he will accomplish what concerns you. Dear one, you are loved. And I don't think we can ever hear it enough. I don't think that we can say it enough. We serve a God of love. Oh, yeah, he still tells us the difference between right and wrong. Oh, yeah, he still corrects us when we get squirrely along the way. But all of his dealings and disciplines with us are because of the relationship that already exists. If you think of it this way, when my my wife and I, when our children were younger, we had, well, probably like your family, we had, well, we had rules for our family. Certain things that we didn't do. We don't have bad attitudes. We don't talk unkindly toward others. We don't throw rocks. And there were a few rules like that. Oh, and by the way, you do eat your vegetables even if God doesn't like them. (laughs) Does this make sense when I tell you Those were family rules. And I didn't tell kids from other families. I only had rules for my kids. Because they were my kids, I had rules. Exactly the same way. You aren't being auditioned as to whether or not God finds you acceptable as his daughter or son. These aren't tryouts. How good can you be? And then God will say, sure. No, you're his kids. And he loves you. And he wants to do great and wonderful things in your life. Hear Jesus' words and bank your life on them. I have come into the world to save sinners. Let's pray. Jesus, we love you. Thank you for your true word that is always filled with such love always laden with hope, so affirming and encouraging, and even though we know that we don't always measure up, thank you that you keep helping us up and building us up until the day comes when, surprise, we do measure up only to find another area where we need your help. We adore you and we love you in Jesus' name. Amen.
0: Amen. Thank you, Daniel. Can you thank Daniel? So you know the Word of God says that when someone brings to you a word of prophecy, you should test it, no matter who it is and and I, I know Daniel would confirm this, and he he will be the first one to say if you if you doubt my words." look in the bible you know find out for yourself but i just don't i don't believe we're supposed to move away from this moment before we just acknowledge the prophetic word that he brought and the insights that he brought i can't do it is number one i don't know what i'm doing and i'm gonna get found out is number two And number three, I don't have what it takes to finish. These are lies. These are lies. And, you know, there are spirits that are assigned over specific nations. And there is a spirit that is assigned over this particular nation of Utah that says, you are not worthy. You don't measure up. You don't know what you're doing you don't have what it takes and you're going to be found out and you don't, you're not going to be able to finish and these are lies and Jesus has come to break those lies and break those curses so I want to be sensitive to this moment and I want to test what Daniel came the word that he came to bring so I just want to let's, let's just go before the Lord in prayer I apologize that we're over time God is without time. So um, we're going to pray. And I'm going to ask you to just close your eyes. But if, if any of these three words, and I'm going to name them again, if any of these three specific lies is something that's, that's affecting you, something that you knew as soon as Daniel said it, this, that's me. If you identify with any of these, I'm going to ask you to stand up. And the first one is, I can't do it. If you have that, can you just stand up right now and acknowledge it to God? I can't. I can't. And the second lie, I don't have what it takes. I don't know enough. I'm going to be found out. Eventually someone's going to recognize that I'm a fraud. I'm an imposter. If that's you, can you just stand up and acknowledge to the Lord And then the the third and final lie is, I don't have what it takes to finish. I can't finish. I'm not going to be able to finish. If that's you, can you please stand up and acknowledge to the Lord? Father, you see (laughs) these, your beloved, that you love so deeply, Lord. And I just thank you, God. I thank you, Lord, in the name of Jesus, that you know their hearts. Lord, you know exactly the things that torment them. And you have come to overcome these lies. You have come to break the power of these lies in each and every person standing right now. And Lord, I ask even for those who aren't standing, you know the secret things in their hearts. And you are the one who has come to heal and to restore and to build up and to encourage and to comfort. And I just pray that right now for each and every person. And we thank you that your promises are yes and amen. We thank you, Lord, that you have given us everything we need for life and godliness. We thank you that you are the one who called us. You are faithful and you will do it. Thank you for that. We bless you in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. I love you all. God bless you. Have a great week. We'll see you next Sunday.